Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Louise. Here we are again. And today is Journey of the Adopted Self by Betty Jean Lifton, Chapter 9, The Adult Child. Oh, boy. (laughs) Here we go. I mean, again, I wish I'd read this book many years ago. Me too. But I didn't. Me too. I took screenshots of a few things to send my son because of conversations we had to show him because I'm like, wow, this is... I am an adult child. Well, well here we I go. have a I have a friend who's adopted and her son is now in the hospital. I don't mm. want to get into details about yeah. it, but I read a paragraph in here that reminded me so much of her. It was about parenting as an mm-hmm. adoptee. But anyway, it really a lot of this chapter hit me hard. Yeah, me too. Well, it starts off. I'm just gonna read the little there's two quotes at the beginning, but one I thought was just puts it in perspective. No one has yet put into words the psychological complexity of being adopted. Adult adoptee, 1990. Yes, Uh, which since (laughs) since then they have. Yes. Adoptee Twitter is a great resource for, you know, getting into the psychological complexity of being adopted. And if anyone wants to learn about it, they should go on and just read things and, and adoptee TikTok too. Right. Yes. You know, it's now we have that people get mad at social media, but the platforms do inform and help people find community in this. For sure. Well, what hit you off the bat? Because there's a lot. <laughs> you circled like five things right away. Me. Well, I, I liked, you know, just right out it, it said adult adoptees, unlike adolescent adoptees, are not overrepresented in mental health facilities. To accept this as a marker of health, however, is to overlook the fact that these adoptees seeking private therapy or support groups for alcohol or drug addiction, eating disorders, depression, or marital failure do not become part of the clinical statistics because it's so, you're so far away from it at that point, right? That it doesn't, it wouldn't occur to a therapist to, to put into the statistics. So right, it's not or to really, like focus yeah. on the adoption. They're focusing on, on the symptoms, if you will, but not the, yes. well, we both not had the that. actual. Yeah, we both had that for many years. And here's a part she gets into in the same vein. She says, adult adoptees often describe themselves as shy loners or floaters lacking self-confidence. They may change jobs often and have problems with control, power, intimacy, and commitment. Ding, ding, ding. ding. <laughs> mm-hmm. These are self-negating. They may look secure, but they suffer from feelings of shame, inner badness, and defectiveness. Mm -hmm. And this part I thought was big. They fear homelessness, betrayal, disintegration, and going mad. But most of all, what do they fear? Abandonment. Abandonment. Yeah, I highlighted that whole paragraph too. (laughs) Me too. I just put, yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. And then she gets into the abandonment complex, which, you know, the other day I was talking to a friend and they said, oh, I have abandonment issues too. And I was thinking... Well, you do, but I couldn't even explain what it was to live with like abandonment as your right. It's core. uh what are, there was some place in the chapter where it said, well, sure, people do feel abandonment, but for the adoptee, you know, it is it's a whole different level. Like when people say, Yeah, you know, I wasn't adopted, but I relate to the abandonment issues. Yes. 
I don't think they're really getting the difference. No, and I don't know if people can because you know I've spoken to a lot of friends about this and my husband and and unless you have it, it's sort of like explaining. I feel like you and I can talk about. We're like, yeah, like just you saying I have abandonment issues, and I'll say, oh yeah, like I know what you're saying. Yes, it's like, it, a, like here's someone says, my fear yeah. of being abandoned borders on terror and yes. paranoia. I have a recurring dream in which I'm abandoned by Earth. You know, someone at 44, like still fears it, you know? Yes. Well, and you know what? The one thing she described in here that I was dying to talk to you about, I, my husband calls me mixed message Marie because Marie is my first name. (laughs) Can't believe I'm saying that on here. (laughs) Nobody better tweet that to me. So mixed message Marie, the reason he says that to me, I try to tell people this, but she sums it up as she said, to flee or to merge. That's the dilemma that face adoptees. They often have the need to merge with others as a way of overcoming their loneliness and dependency, while at the same time, they have to pull away and escape someone's control. So in relationships, they give constant mixed messages. That is like my entire life summed up. Yes. And I know you probably have this too. I just am like, please don't leave me, but I'm going to push you away. And then, you know, it just goes in the cycle, but she gets further into it. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it's, you know pretty big for me. Just being, I put, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where was this book? Where was this book? I know it would have really been a big help. Then she gets into like seeking the mother and the lover. Yeah. What'd you think of that part? Seeking the mother and the lover. I thought that was interesting. Definitely interesting. Um, I didn't feel as connected to that part. Did you? I didn't No. I mean, if it had said seeking the father and the lover, then yes, I probably (laughs) would have related at a different point in my life. But (laughs) But I think that's some of it, even though she didn't get into, I think it was like looking for someone to nurture you or looking for a parent, parent. you know, or some sort of some replacement. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I agree. This all encompassing something. I did relate to the ghost kingdom too, you know, adoptees who cannot find a satisfying relationship with the opposite sex often retreat to the ghost kingdom where their fantasies may prove more safe and rewarding than their experiences. Definitely related to that from past experiences, you know, having these high expectations on someone and being then, you know, of course, disappointed when they don't live up to my fantasies. Yeah. I actually thought of you with that because we know a lot about each other. (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, I've been through it too, but I was like, oh, Sarah and I have talked a lot about this, but I'll let her talk about it (laughs) because it's true. Well, the thing, oh, the part that I thought was 100% where I was like, oh my gosh, this is me. Hold on. I'm skipping a page here. Was the fear of intimacy. Mm, Yes, for sure. Right? I think both of us can relate to that. And the here where she talks about the top days take on the role of the imposter early in life from mm-hmm. the moment they try in earnest to live as if they're a natural member of the family in which they find themselves. And here's this is the line I circled. I've always felt I was given the wrong part in the wrong play. It was a script written for somebody else. Yeah. And I read so much of that on Twitter too. People just feeling like they're not in their right thing when they're with people. Right. I had like, you know, when looking with like family and merged families and all this stuff where, you know, someone, someone Ben, you know, adoptee says, I was watching them and thinking, who are these people? I don't look like them. I don't belong with them. 
Yeah. It's like staring at them. <laughs> yes. Like I've had that in my life. Like, how are we nothing alike? You know, like I would joke around, you know, before really understanding yeah. the adoption piece of it, just like, oh, I just, you know, we're just different or, you know, yeah, but so different, you know, so different. My brother and I would joke around often about it. And now I sometimes when he makes little jokes, I'll think, yeah, that's right. I'll say that's exactly right. And he's like, wow, that's just, I can't. (laughs) He's like, I really see what you're saying now. I'm like, I know we're just different. I mean, we love each other. We've known each other for years and years and years. And that we have this tight, tight bond. Like he's just my brother. But at the same time, we just come at things just like foreign beings, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. What was the next? Part? And then uh, oh. need need for control. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? The, I was thinking about you. Here's a little segue. The only time you and I have ever really gotten in big arguments or done anything is when we owned a business together. Mm-hmm. I, want, I don't want people to think we're arguing off our set now. <laughs> when we had we had a business that was very stressful at times. I think really stressful when I look at how business looking run. back and it was. <laughs> We took Very stressful. Like, yeah. Let's let's take out a, a not an operating truck into the middle of the night and do these yes. parties. The need for control, I think, is the only thing that would really trigger us because we both like feels like, and I know I have control issues, but I've had to work so hard to like let other people have control or to say, okay, I'm okay in a situation. I don't have to have control. Like she even said, some adoptees are fear, they fear flying or Things right, that are giving yes. control to someone else. And sometimes I have that driving. Or... Oh, driving. Like when I, I was just yeah. thinking when when Becker and I drove across the country and we hit Colorado and there were the fires and we got our you know route diverted like by six hours and we were going down these treacherous yeah. two-lane roads and and it got dark and I finally, you know. I was so freaked out and I had to let Becker drive and he drove through the mountains and, you know, the whole time, finally I gave in, but for the longest time we had this huge fight and, you know, I just was so scared to let him drive, Yeah, but I was too scared to drive myself in the dark in the mountains. So that's a big, that's a a big symbolism on life right there for us. (laughs) Finally, do you have any specific memories of you and I having? No, I don't. I remember once I have no idea what we argued about. And, but we both, you said something like, you're just trying to have control. And I'm like, well, you're a control freak. And I think we started laughing. Like, I actually remember we used something about control. And later I was like, gosh, we're so alike in that way. And now I'm like, oh, we're really alike in that way. (laughs) Not just personality, but I think. Well, and I feel like I used to have a bit of. I wouldn't say OCD, but it would be like, I would leave my house and I would have to go back inside probably oh. five or six times. Did I unplug this? Did I turn this off? You know, yes. five or six times, you know, out of, I've completely do not do that anymore. I don't yeah. know how I overcame that, but I mean, it wasn't that long ago or with Becker as a baby, you know, working oh, myself yes. up into a frenzy if he was with someone else or... Oh, that's how I was. If somebody... I could really had a hard time letting him be with somebody else. Mm-hmm. I would check and check and check and and not have fun where I was supposed to be until I came back. Yeah. And even now... I like I still have that with my dog, by the way. I, me too. With me. Yes. I know. <laughs> I was waiting for I you still to go, do uh, yeah. have that to some extent with Becker. Like I'm so glad he's in a relationship and that they live together and I don't worry about him now. You know, he's, yes, it's just, yeah. Well, then that leads us into 
adoptees as a parent. Yeah. I thought this was probably the most new thing that we've read. Yes. And it hasn't been really addressed yet in anything we've really read together. The whole thing about how people parent and become a parent and what happens to them going back, a lot of adoptees revert to childhood mm-hmm. and become the child. I had a little, I had the control things like you, like I had to be the perfect parent and show so much love and all this, but then also trying to be the friend and upset if they're mad at you. Well, that, then she did say, you yeah. know, because I know I have talked about this ad nauseum to people about like, cause I completely, you know, focused on when Becker was born. I'm like, all right, you know, he's the most important thing in my life. And like to the detriment of other of career or, you know, when, when my relationship with his dad ended, did not having another relationship. Cause I was so no, I'm not going to do to him what was done to me in terms of feeling yes. like I wasn't a priority or parents putting other relationships before, you know, so I just focused completely Yes. Utterly and completely on Becker until then he went off to college. I'm like, well, what, what, you know, (laughs) (laughs) wait a second. But she does say, you know, on the positive side, the adoptee parent being exquisitely sensitive to the insecurities of a young child tries to give their children the sense of rootedness that they did not have, not through the failing of the adoptive parents, but because of the existential condition of being adopted. Mm -hmm. Existential condition. Uh, it is, and well, look at look at. No one can see us, but on on YouTube, yeah. the entire two pages is like <laughs> underlined yes. and highlighted. I'm like, gosh, this is this is a sentence that you were just talking about, but this really was like I've circled three times. No one romanticizes blood relationships more than a person who has never known them. Mm-hmm. I think that, and every parent we've had on, and you and I both, when we've talked about that, when your child is born, we're like. This is, it was so huge. That's when I really realized I was adopted. The day. So profound. Yeah. So it's profound. A, you know, when you finally hold your first blood relative, mm-hmm. you cannot help asking the inevitable question how could any woman give up her child? Yeah. And what were well, those? Of course, it's not always a choice. The case, right? Yeah. <laughs> but also, what were the feelings? Like we've all dealt with our feelings, but then you think, wow, what went on there? Like, yeah. I remember really having this whole new idea of everything, just that moment. And then just now you and I have talked about this, but in my family, I sort of really, even in Bill's family, I'll look for the relationships like, oh, you know, make sure to call your mom. Like, I'm so concerned about relationships. And they, she talked in here about how some adoptees choose not to even have kids because of the pain right. of fear that goes along with all this. There's the other type of parent who, you know, distanced themselves from their children. One woman admitted that she felt she was raising her husband's two children rather than her own, but she was just a caregiver and not a mother. Another who turned their children over to their father believes that she has an inability to feel as if some part of her were split off and she was not totally present. That made me sad. Yeah. I think that happens more than people say too, because people don't want to talk about this. Maybe they can't handle that kind of love. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, most adoptees feel they're unworthy of love down deep. Right. So this is a huge part. Well, there's a lot more in this. She talked about the fear of homelessness. Oh God. And that was, did that hit you? Because that's actually something I really afraid of. No. Down since I was little. Me too. And you and I are both very sympathetic to homeless people. I ran away and was, you know, 
like without a home for a month or so, and then yeah. in juvenile hall and, you know, come to find out this last year that they were considering putting me in foster care as a teenager, you know, that, yeah. that was new information to me in my fifties. So yes, that has always, or being single at this age, these yeah. fears of like, what will happen to me? Yes. Yeah. We talk about that. And I feel that too. I feel like it's my deepest fear that I don't really tell anybody. Like at any moment I could just be homeless and not with a family. Yeah. And I was like, does everybody feel that way? I thought it was just me. <laughs> I read this. I'm like, wow, that's actually a thing. And you and I do talk about it in the scary part. Like I feel really lonely sometimes and, and you're like, what is going to happen? You know, we're at this age, but I, I feel like she just really nailed it with, there's like this dark void she talked mm-hmm. about. And I myself personally, and I know you're like this because we spend enough time together. I feel really compassionate about homeless people in general. Mm-hmm. Anybody I see without a home, it almost upsets me more than any other cause. And I feel really bad for homeless dogs. I know. Wow. Woody. That's... <laughs> I can't handle that. <laughs> Don't even go down the dog thing, then they'll start crying. I know. <laughs> and then I loved this last part. I just, mm-hmm. and of course, I think my Enneagram four plays into <laughs> like because fours think we're really special and different. And there you well, you no are. one understands us. <laughs> so I like this last part about yearning for connection. Adoptees are like mythic heroes, mm-hmm. orphaned motherless, sent out into the world alone. And then, you know, it says adoptees are also perceived by others as being part of a divine plan. Adopted people are a special breed, according to a scholar of Kabbalah. Every soul has a purpose. Adoptees are beautiful souls, old souls. They have a special fate, a special karma to redesign the earth. Mm -hmm. They live out everybody's fantasy of abandonment to placate the fates. We make them divine. Isn't that amazing? I love that too. Who wants to be divine at the cost of abandonment? Exactly. <laughs> maybe that's I'd rather be a <laughs> normal. <laughs> but maybe, maybe that is why we're supposed to figure this out. Like not everybody is going to figure this out. And some people have figured it out way past where I'm figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Maybe these conversations are the journey that we're supposed to be on for this reason. You know? I, yeah. It was I healing so. to read that. I loved it. It almost it really made me cry like- when you're reading it. <laughs> Well, this has been great. And we have, well, our guest today actually gets into a lot of what we're talking about. Yes. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I talked about it for months and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, parked ourselves in our closets, and that was it. Buzzsprout did the rest. You get a great looking podcast website and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing. So if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know we sent you and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And bonus, you help support our show. Hi, I'm just going to break in here. As a friend of the podcast and a fellow Patreon, I want to join Louise and Sarah in thanking everyone who has reached out 
frankly, I've been astounded at the number of listeners from across the world who have shared their unique stories with our podcasters. I believe in the healing power of stories. As a Patreon, I've found such pleasure in supporting the podcast and in seeing how adoptees find their people. I know how much Louise and Sarah are moved by each Patreon support. Their immediate goal is to be able to air the podcast weekly rather than bi-weekly. Eventually, they would like to advocate for more effective ways of adopting children. If you would like to support this important work, either once or in an ongoing way, simply go to patreon.com, then in the search bar, type adoption colon the making of me. Thank you all, each in your own way, for bringing us together. And now let's rejoin our hosts. Here we are again for another wonderful episode. And today's guest is a friend through one of our guests, Denise Cruz, actually, is how we came to know her. Denise told me about her and we wrote each other. And I, with no further ado, here is Beth Figgles. Well, Hi, Beth. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I really, I'm very excited. And I want to say thank you to you guys for having this space because it's really really great, not just for adoptees to talk, but also for people to hear our stories and our experiences. So thank thank you. you. Thanks. It is important. So how are you here? And tell us your story. (laughs) I'm from Los Angeles originally. I'm from the Valley. I was born in Encino. So I'm literally a Valley girl. You're a Valley girl. (laughs) Yes. But I I was born in the sixties and I'm 56 now. And I was adopted at a week old. So very baby scoop era. Yes, definitely. Yes. I mean, after reading American Baby, I was like, this is kind of like me. It's so fascinating. And so kind of some of it's sad to know about those things. But yeah, I was adopted. I was very lucky. I was adopted at a week old. My birth mother knew she didn't want me to be in a foster home, according to the stuff that the adoption agency gave me, the non-identifying info that I got. And my parents were, they had tried, you know, just like a lot of people, they wanted kids, they had tried and it didn't work out. And so they decided to adopt and my dad was adopted. So I think it was kind of made sense to him because I, he was very grateful to my grandmother for kind of saving him from an orphanage. So I think for him, it was like something that he sort of wanted to pay it forward, you know? And so, yeah, I, I definitely. Did they tell you you're like, yeah, your, your yeah. whole life that you were adopted. Yes. It's funny. I was just trying to think of how to say that. They always told us we were, in fact, I don't actually know the first time they told us, but we knew when we were very young. I don't remember like the- So you have a sibling that also was adopted? I have a younger brother who's adopted as well. And we're, I mean, I love him. We're not super close and we never have been, but he's my brother. But yeah, we had, I think I mentioned this before. I don't remember that conversation I knew I was adopted and we had this book that my, my mom and dad got us that I guess they would read to us because it's kind of tattooed on my brain, the pictures. And so we, that was not a secret, but then on the other hand, besides having the book, we never talked about it ever. (laughs) So that was was your information. (laughs) Yes, that's it. We're done. We already told you. And if, you know, I remember asking my mom when I was probably like seven or eight, like, can't you go get another baby? Because 
you know, that's how you do it. You go to the children's office. and <laughs> you can, Right. But my mom was like, no, we're done. Two is enough. But I also did, you know, you know how kids kind of hear things or I don't remember how I came to this information, but I did know as a child that my dad, there was some weird story about how he was adopted. And I didn't really understand it completely because my dad still had his mom. Then I knew my grandpa wasn't his real dad. So Mm. He must have told us, or I must have heard some people talking about it, but it, I know it was in my my mind because I remember telling my brother, I was probably about eight or nine, so he was two years younger, and I was like, dude, we have to be good because if they uh, get divorced, we're going to an orphanage. I just like, in my heart, I just knew, you know, because that's what happens, you know, and you know how kids are. I mean, all kids are like this anyway, but I think for adoptees, we don't know who we are. In a way, we don't. We don't know any of that. Um, And we're told to just be grateful. And so, yeah, I I made up a story (laughs) because, you know, I was just trying to fill in the gaps in my head. And you're living with that anxiety a little bit. Sure. That because no one is talking to you about it. Right. That could happen. And it happened. It happened to my dad. And it was it was not good. Like he Later, as an adult, you know, I found out more of the details, but it was during the World War II, and my grandmother couldn't make ends meet, and she had just gotten divorced, and she was in a different city, and she put my dad and his brother, my uncle, in an orphanage for about four or five years, and they were little How kids. I was just going to ask how old they were. My dad was four, and my uncle was two, so if you mm. can imagine, you have kids. I have a stepdaughter. No, I can't. Someone that young, and like just putting them someplace for four or five years. So I understand when my dad said it was awful because, but then on the other hand, my grandmother got remarried and she came to fetch her kids. So my dad was also very grateful to her at the same time. So he had a lot of, I think he had some issues. Yeah. Around. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I would imagine like gratitude, but also huge resentment. Yes. And and not understanding that abandonment. Why did you abandon me? Exactly. So, so yeah. I, I do think that for him and his mind, adoption made sense, you know, because I'm sure he felt like he wanted to save some kids. And I'm actually trying to write about this right now. So it's very interesting. But yeah, you know, when I, my parents got divorced, then my parents actually did get divorced and it, we did not get put into an orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> Gladly. I'm glad for you. Right, right. So Yeah. <laughs> Because they don't really exist anymore. But no, right. Yeah, when I was a teenager, my my mom and dad got divorced, and my mom is gay, and so my mom found a partner that she's still with, and uh, my dad got remarried about three minutes later after they got divorced. Like, and how old were you? As men do, I was sixteen. It was like a, it was just a bad time. It was, you know, and I have a stepdaughter, and you know, teenagers, it's just rough. It's just hard being that age, and. I had a really hard time because, again, they didn't tell us what was happening. And then suddenly you're getting divorced, you're getting remarried, you're gay, which is fine. But it was just very similar to my story. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. And I had a really hard time. I dropped out of high school, which I'm not ashamed. And, you know, I just kind of had to I think a lot of adoptees go through this. We sort of have to make our way without really knowing what the heck we're doing. (laughs) For sure. You know, but I just had to kind of make do and not, you know, I did eventually go back to school. I went to college and, but when I was in my twenties, I really started wanting to, to search for my birth mother. 
So Beth, when you were going through all that in high school, how was your brother? Was he going through this too? And did your parents have any sort of feelings to help you or? No, I mean, I, you know, I don't actually, we were just trying to act normal. And I think, I think a lot of people go through this, not just adopted people, but we were just trying to act like everything was fine. My parents got divorced. And as I said, my dad got married really (laughs) soon afterwards. (laughs) And yeah, we were, we were just, you know, expected to kind of act like everything was fine. And there was no, did you have, did you have step siblings? No. I didn't. My dad and my stepmom tried, but it didn't work out for them. I'm surprised they didn't adopt another baby. Actually. That's what I was going to say. I'm surprised <laughs> with your dad. <laughs> no, they didn't. But no, I just, I think it was, it, it was just like, we just kind of went along just kind of in a, I, for myself personally, I was just in a haze. I mean, I, I wasn't raised to like talk about my feelings or even identify my feelings at all. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and so when I got into high school, I just, everything fell apart. You know, I, and it was okay. I had a boyfriend who was a few years older and he was like a safe person to be with. And he was kind of my surrogate parent actually for a while. My parents just were not, they were in their own crises mm-hmm. and I had to find someone else to sort of look out for me. So I did. And so I, you know, I, he was in college and I used to go to school with him. Sometimes he went to Cal state Northridge. He was really smart and I met him at work. That's actually another way that I sort of took my mind off of all the things that were going on in my life was that I would, I had a job. Yeah. And yeah. I dropped out of high school. My parents noticed, but of course they didn't do anything about it. I was always in the gift program in California back in those days. Anyway, they wouldn't have special classes or enhanced learning for people who were gifted. And so and when I was in 11th grade, I had done so not good that they put me in a special group of people for underachieving gifted people. <laughs> and I was like, I got to the, I just remember going a couple of times. I'm like, I don't want to hang out with these losers. <laughs> when you left school, did anybody try to intervene or help you or? No. And I just stopped going and I, I lied to my parents and. That sounds so much like my, my childhood. I was, <laughs> I was really good at lying to my parents. And because they were so unfocused on us, they just didn't notice anything until it was too late. Yeah. And that's just mm-hmm. that's what it was. You know, my, my mom wasn't really around, although my mom would kind of maybe once a month come take us out to dinner or something. She was going through her own, her own stuff. Although my mom did try to engage my mom. This was the seventies and eighties. And my mom was really involved in these est seminars. Est was a thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember. Yes. My mom, when we were younger, my mom had made us take the EST training because they allowed kids to do it, which was really bizarre. But my mom. They, uh, they still do allow kids at Hawaii. I, yeah. I know how somebody <laughs> did that with her son. I was like, yeah, can it, you just talk to him? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, it was very weird because it was like all adults with their adult issues and it was kind of no holds barred. So it was very weird for us. So later, you know, after the divorce, EST used to have these kind of ongoing workshops, you know, for graduates. So my mom and I did a couple of those together because she thought it would help me, I guess. But then again, we didn't talk about anything. It was just, I just wasn't, you know, in an environment where I felt safe to talk. And I think a lot of adoptees go through that too. I mean, we just don't feel safe Yes, because people don't want to hear anything beyond it was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you can't. It's a very hard topic to bring up. And when you're rebuffed with it, it's like, okay, 
It's not a safe thing. It's so, I mean, I have to say just for me, my entire life, like people, the stuff they say to us. Crazy. It's just mind blowing, like from family, from friends, from coworkers, from strangers, just, they just, in fact, just even recently, like a couple of months ago, I was at dinner with some family, but also some people I didn't know. And this person I had never met before just was like, oh, well, that's great. Adoption is great. And I was like, it's not the venue to really get into an argument, but you know, I don't even know you, you know, like <laughs> you don't know what I went through. So yeah, I mean, people just, they don't want to hear. And I, it's hard sometimes to know when it's safe to talk about it or not, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. one, one of the nice things about getting older is that you just sort of have to, <laughs> sometimes you just decide I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sarah and I, when we were interviewed in an article, in an article, we're like, you get to the age you're like, I don't give a fuck. I mean, that's the reality. We have feelings. We're going to talk about them. I definitely, you know, one thing that has, I found that has helped is that I, for the past year and a half, I've tried to connect with people on adoptee Twitter. And it's just so nice to hear other yeah. people's, not just their stories, but like their issues or what, how they're Things trying they're working through. Mm-hmm. Trying to advocate for things. It's been really positive. I mean, mostly positive. Some people are crazy, but yes, they just definitely. go out. Yeah, but it's been really heartwarming to just kind of see how other people deal with similar issues that like we're not alone because I think a lot of adoptees feel alone because we feel alone in our families. I did. Mm -hmm. I did too. We feel lonely. It's a lonely feeling. Lonely even when we're around other people because we're different. And even though everyone says, no, no, you're not different. You're one of us. And they, they might even mean it, but that difference isn't really acknowledged and we're not encouraged to talk about it. And I think that would have been so helpful if my parents had just talked to us about yes. it a little bit and just said, Hey, you might have different feelings and it's okay. Just something like that. Just anything. <laughs> um, yeah. They were when just we- not capable. I think my parents just did what they thought was the best thing. And, you know, just act like everything's normal and don't talk about it. And that was, that was their approach. And and your dad is coming in with a whole different set of things from his yeah, situation. I mean, I, and again, it's, I mean, that's what I'm trying to write about him now. Cause I think it's in a way, it's a way to connect with him, even though, I mean, I can talk to him, you know, he doesn't, he's not here, but it's a way for me to sort of know more about him. And yeah, I, I wish we could have connected on it somehow because it's like this thing that we have in common. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was just too painful for him. But I, you know, I do know that when I found my birth mother, like he never, he never encouraged me to do it. <laughs> and I think he was probably worried. And so right before I met my birth mother, I I found her and we had made a date to meet. And, you know, my, my dad, as I was saying, my dad never discouraged me from searching, but he never really said anything encouraging about it either. And I think it just made him uncomfortable. But I went over to see my dad and my stepmom right before I met my birth mother. And he how did you find her, by the way? It wasn't wasn't easy. I mean, it was back in the day. So I had to do it the old fashioned way, you know, like writing letters. And I through had, the adoption agency, you mean? Yeah, I knew my real last name. Hmm. And my parents had saved a few legal documents that I had found because I'm nosy. When I was a kid, I found them. <laughs> All us adoptees share that in common, yeah. our well, investigative skills. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, my dad, you know, I was just saying, I wish my dad and I had been able to 
connect more about adoption because it was something we both went through. But one of the only times he's ever said anything like this, he told me about when he and my mom found out they were going to come get me. And, you know, they got a phone call, like, come get this baby tomorrow. And he just said, I could tell it was really meaningful to him. He was not a warm and fuzzy person. He didn't talk about his feelings a lot, but he was telling me the story of how they were really excited and they went shopping to buy a lot of stuff, baby stuff. And that afterwards they went to the movies to see Mary Poppins. And it was just, my dad didn't tell stories like that. You know, (laughs) he was really trying to connect about it. And he wasn't happy that I was meeting my birth mother, but I think he understood the impulse to do that, you know, and he didn't talk about my birth mother, although the couple times he referred to her, he called her that woman. He didn't. Oh, know her name. yeah. So, yeah. But at least he said he said something that was maybe one of the only times we were able to connect about it. What about but, your mom, your adopted mom? My, my adopted mom is I mean, she just my mom is I love my mom. She's my mom, but she's kind of self-involved. So in a way, in this situation, that was good because she wasn't trying to interfere. She would just talk about herself. (laughs) I would just say, I'm doing this and that. And she would just bring it back to something she was doing. So I'm sure it made her uncomfortable too. And that was her way of dealing with it. It's uncomfortable. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure that adoptive parents, you know, when their kids do this, they feel judged and it's not about that for me anyway. Mm -hmm. And my relationship with my parents did not change after I found my birth mother. It was the same. So Um, tell us, it took some digging and this was when, how, when was this? So this was in the mid nineties. Okay. That's when I started looking. Yeah. I was almost 30 and I just, I was like, I'm doing this, you know, I'm just going to start. And I had my real last name. I did all those things. Like I went to the library, you know, and I like looked in microfilm and I went to the Mormon library. I wrote letters. I went to the Hall of Records and looked through voting registrations. So I just, you know, it was like I had to do everything by hand. <laughs> so I went to the library. I looked through old phone books and I found someone with the last name that I knew. And there was a woman with that last name, just one. And she lived in Sherman Oaks. And I was like, well, that's her, you know, found her. And so I, my brother helped me a little bit and I, I got her address and I wrote her a letter and I said, you know, if you're who I think you are, I was born on such and such date. And I just, I don't even know what I said. It took a while, but she wrote me back and she was not my birth mother. She was my aunt. She was my birth father. Mm. And so it took her a while because at the time she had been sworn to secrecy about everything, but I'm grateful to her because she gave me all the details that I needed. And she told me a little bit about their story. And so then after that, I just looked for my birth mother. And one of the details that I found out from my aunt is that my birth mother had grown up in a a very religious Mormon family. And I went to the Mormon library and in West LA. Yeah. And, you know, they'll help anyone. You don't have to be a Mormon. If you just tell them you're doing family history research, they're like, what do you need? You know? And so it just, it just so happened that my birth mother, her dad had done a lot of genealogy because they're obsessed with that. And so not only did I find some info, I found like this gigantic family tree that her dad had done that goes back to 1650 or something. Wow. That's <laughs> but better, yeah, that's better than online ancestry. <laughs> I know. And so I, I love libraries anyway. I'm, I'm an English major. So that was really exciting. But so I, I found her, I, again, my brother helped me 
locate her. And she lived a few hours away from LA. And I wrote her a letter and I called her and she was not, she was not happy about it. And I think she was shocked. What were the circumstances that she was pregnant, gave you up and all that stuff? Not an unusual story. She and my birth father had been high school sweethearts and they had known each other. And I guess, you know, her dad didn't like him and they sent her off to college. You know how back in the day, sometimes in California or in LA County way that high schools would have two graduating classes, like one in the wintertime. Oh, in the oldest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she, I think she had graduated from high school in the winter and then her dad sent her to bring him young right away just to separate them. But they kept seeing each other and she got pregnant and she told me that they were going to get married and that they had told their parents. But then he, my birth father, just decided that he didn't, I don't think it was a conversation, but he just kind of um, skipped out on her and joined the Navy instead and left her, which is- Went to Vietnam? He did. He had been in ROTC, I think, in high school. So it was an easy choice, you know. And he only wrote her like months later. And by that time it was too late because, you know, he had abandoned her. And wow, she did tell me the one time we talked about it, that she, I think her family wanted to, you know, they would adopt me or her sister would take me in or something like that. And she just didn't want that. So yeah, she made up her mind really soon that she wanted to give me up, which it's hard. I mean, I like on the one hand, I understand it, but on the other hand, it hurts, you know, It's hard, too, because I wasn't able to reconnect with her. She just wasn't able to To do that. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've met twice. The first time was, you know, we agreed to meet. And then it was nice. But then I think afterwards, she just couldn't see it as a sustainable relationship. But she didn't tell me that. And so for a while, we wouldn't talk. And then she would send me a birthday card. And then she would say, let's talk more. And then I wouldn't hear from her again. So after a while, it just started to be really hurtful for me. And mm-hmm. so I told her, it was probably about six or seven years in after we remet. I said, if you don't want to do this, then don't. Because this going through this every year is starting to be really painful for me. <laughs> and that was really hard. It wasn't like I wanted to tell her that, but... It's healthier for you because that's like rejection, rejection. That was rough. And so we don't talk. I've been, when I got married, I I emailed her just to ask her if I could have any health info. She gave me some few little things, but we don't talk. And she has a son who I have met, but it's uncomfortable for him because he knows that she doesn't want him to talk to me. (laughs) So it just. He's in the middle. I, yeah. So I have to respect that. It's hard. And, you know, I'm lucky because I think a lot of adoptees don't ever get to find, you know, they don't know how to get started or they don't think they can do it. And um, I feel fortunate that I set my mind to something and I did it. And especially back in the day when there was no Ancestry.com and, you know, I just was like, I'm doing this. I will research whatever I have to do. I did actually also at that time, I wrote to the, it was the LA County um, Children's Bureau that I was adopted through. And so they gave me some info, but another interesting thing happened. I'm on my birth mother's side. I'm one eighth native Alaskan. So the lady at the Children's Bureau asked me if I wanted to get any information about my native American ancestry. Wow. That's actually really interesting. Sure. Whatever you can give me. So 
she's like, okay, well, I have to write on your behalf because they're not allowed to, you know, reveal my identifying information to me, which makes no sense. But so no sense at all. Yeah. So when they wrote me back or when they wrote back and sent this info, they sent it to me and they sent me a copy of my original birth certificate. Ah, oh, that's. I think may have been my mistake or maybe not. Maybe they were trying to help me out because I had tried to get it and I just couldn't because it's California. So they won't. Right. <laughs> I think a lot of states don't easily give up. Yeah. I mean, adoptees in the U.S. in most states, you can't get them. Yeah. I think there's only eight or nine states even now that. Yeah, it's crazy. That info. I think that's wrong and it needs to change. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. So you get it and you what do you find out about your Native American history? Well, they didn't actually send me a lot, but I do have a letter that says I'm one-eighth Native Alaskan officially. I haven't spent as much time because I I know I found some cousins, you know, that I found them through Ancestry who I probably should get to know. But again, it's awkward because they know my birth mother. And so it just turns into a whole thing where, you know, I know that she doesn't want me to be out talking to them. So that's been actually really hard. Like a roadblock to other people. Yeah. yeah. But I think in the meantime, I have just focused on, you know, continuing fostering my relationship with my sister who I'm close to. And I'm, now, is this your sister through your birth father? Through my birth father. Yeah. Okay. So you found your birth father. When I was searching, I found that he had passed away. It was actually, he passed away in 91 and I started searching, I think in 93 or 94. Oh. It had only been a couple of years. How did he die? He had cancer and my sister took care of him. So I feel like I kind of got to know him through her and through our brother, but yeah, that was hard. I mean, I, that's actually, I didn't expect that. And when I met my birth mother the first time I had to tell her she didn't know either. And that was kind of hard. Did it affect her? I don't know. I had a therapist that used to call this being well-defended. She's there. You know, you can't tell. <laughs> I'm sure it did, but she didn't talk about it to me. Probably but, years of stuffed down emotions from all of this. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yes. So I just feel really fortunate. I found some siblings to be close to. And speaking of siblings and my birth father, it's been about two and a half years ago. My sister called me one night and she was like, you know, someone on Ancestry connected with me and she was born in 1965, which is the year I was born. And I was like, it's me. It's a mistake. You're probably just looking at my record. And, and I was like, but wait a minute. I'm not on Ancestor.com DNA. I did 23. Oh. So we have another sister that we found, found us. Born the Through same year as you? Dad. Same year. She's two months older than me. <laughs> your dad was having some fun during that time. He was having fun in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is after, after oh but yeah, no, he, he oh. was a big guy. We don't know actually the whole story, but she is our sister. I, we're still getting to know her. Is she in California too? No, she has a totally different story. She, she grew up in the Midwest. Her parents, you know, were married the entire time and then no one got divorced. She grew up on a farm. I mean, she's, it's very different. Older. Was she adopted too? She is adopted too. Oh, okay. Okay. Her adopted parents stayed together and she had a stable. Yeah. Yes. I'm from a divorced adopted parents too. Um, So this would be like if you and I were sisters. (laughs) 
It's that's kind of cool. The three of you now are connected. Yeah, and so we've met her in person once a couple of years ago. We met up in New York because my stepdaughter was graduating from college and we knew we were going to be there. So my husband and I were there already. My sister Lisa, who the one I've known for years, came and then our new sister came to meet us and it was really intense because it's different when you're older, you know, like I met my sister and brother when we were still in our like late twenties, early thirties, we didn't have families, we had jobs, but we, we just had a lot more freedom, I guess, and time, Yeah, you know, when you're older and you have more responsibilities and different, you're in a different stage of your life. It just is really different to get to know somebody. I think. How did she feel meeting the two of you? Because you already had a relationship was guarded a little or. Um, no, I mean, she's not really a guarded person. She's very open, but we did talk about that. I'm like, I told her, I'm like, it's going to take us longer, you know, to get yeah. to know each other because there's so much more to get to know. There's, we've had like long lives already. And yeah. so we're just in a, such a different stage of our lives. And she's, she has a lot of kids and grandkids already. She got married when she was very young. So yeah, we're just more busy. I I think when you're in your twenties, you just like have all the time in the world. I know when I was searching for my birth mother, it's all I did. I mean, I had a job, but other than that, I just spent all my free time searching, you know, and writing letters and going places. And I I wouldn't be able to do that now. (laughs) You know, I'm too tired. (laughs) How do you feel now? Do you feel like your wounds are healing? It's really interesting that you say that because in terms of my birth mother, I would say yes. I mean, I think I, you know, like maybe 10 years ago, I would have been a lot angrier about it. I definitely Mm -hmm. do have some anger, you know, at being not just, I understand that it was a situation and everyone felt like that was the best result adoption at the time, but it hurts to be rejected again. And so I definitely was feeling some anger and frustration about that. But, you know, I'm grateful for my life and I tried. I feel like it's important to try with my birth mother. It didn't work out the way I had hoped it would, but I wish her the best. And I, I wish we could be friends and I don't see it happening, but I have to just make my peace with that. Do you think if you went back in without having major expectations on what it was, that there could be something? I don't think I had major expectations. I mean, well, I just mean like when you I said it, she would reach out and then say, let's talk. And then she wouldn't. I mean, I don't know if you could accept just getting a birthday card and maybe a once a year call or. I don't know. I, I think at this point, if we both really wanted to try it again, I definitely would just sure. I mean, but I think it's, isn't it hard though? Like as a relinquished child, I mean, it's hard not to have some expectations. I, I think, yeah. That yeah. Me. I mean, I, I can't look at her as just, I mean, I, I know she went through a hard time and I completely acknowledge that. I do have compassion for that, but I, I think sometimes if people just can't, can't get there. It's okay to say mm-hmm. can't. Yeah. It's not possible. It's too painful when we try. It's okay. Yeah. I respect her as a human being and I know it must have been incredibly hard what she went through, but 
Yeah, it would be it would be hard to try again unless we both were sure that we wanted to, and we weren't just saying that we wanted to without really thinking about what that means. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I it's okay to say this doesn't work. It's sad. I find it very sad, but it's okay. I think I've been so lucky to have my siblings. But another side of this is that I feel now, like in the past year or so, I've realized, especially with rereading the primal wound. I have never been able to really process my kind of birth trauma. Yeah, nor have I. And so that has been really painful. And I'm glad I'm at a point where I can actually go there. I think before I couldn't even think about it. It's It's, hard to face. Yes. Yeah. And so this is the time. This is the time. Exactly. Like, I think I am just, just being older or having been through other experiences or rereading something that the stuff you couldn't take in before you're able to take it in now. I just, I read the primal wound and the journey of the adopted self back when I found my birth mother, probably right after. And I, I know I read them, but it just, you know, the, we take in things in stages and right at that time, I was so focused on finding people searching, which I love to do. Yeah. And not absorbing in a way some things that we go through in our life kind of help us get ready to get to that next stage. Sometimes it takes a long time, you know? Yeah. I really wanted to, you know, write, it's been in my head for a couple of years. Like I want to write about my dad and I want to research like his, like his orphanage, like where was he exactly? And can I find records on it? And can, do I have anyone who could help me do that? And what was it like beyond what he always said? It was terrible. Yeah. Poor guy. But is he still alive? No, he died in the late nineties. And, you know, my uncle who was, was also there is also passed away. So I don't have either one of them to, although I don't think either one of them to talk about it anyway. <laughs> That's like that suppressed trauma. I'm sure from yeah, like after war. Or something. Mm, yeah. yeah. Don't want to, I get that. But the only thing I have for my uncle is that my uncle was a little bit younger. So I think he was affected differently by the whole orphanage thing. But my uncle also in his later life stopped drinking and, and had some therapy. And so Mm. able to sort of process his own issues. And he searched for their birth father and their birth father had died, but he found his birth father's second wife and family. And so he was able to meet them and get to know them a little bit. And he was very welcomed into their family. And so at the time I remember hearing about it and I just wasn't interested because I was into my own life and my dad didn't want to talk to him about it. My uh, dad didn't want to hear it. He just, yeah. sometimes like if it's just yeah. too, you scratch a little bit and then it's just the bleeding starts. So maybe that's probably, <laughs> yeah, he for sure had to keep things wound tight. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we all yeah. do it. One of the only things I have, one of the only pieces of paper I have is that my uncle, it was, right after he had found his birth father's second family, he was taking a psychology class. And so he wrote this paper about the family history as he saw it and all the kind of family patterns and a lot of stuff about their mom, my grandmother. So I have that. And so there is some facts and some dates in there. And so it kind of is a jumping off point for me to try to research more about their orphanage experience and my grandmother's divorce and finding out all those secrets. It's a little gift for you, that piece of paper. 
exactly. Yeah, get to work and please keep us posted on that. I'll be so will. curious. I will. I wrote a We want to read it. Yeah, no, I want it to be a book. I just have to do some more research, but I've been writing for a couple months. I wrote an essay just about my dad after he died. And yeah, I definitely want it to be a book project. So, so yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing and getting through all these technological issues oh, that we're having today. You're just wonderful, Beth. We're so happy to have you in our community. I feel like we have a new friend. Yeah. I feel the same way. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Really appreciate appreciate your time. I will invite you to the book party. Please. (laughs) I feel like everyone, now that we are a community, we will still continue to be a community. Yes, of course. Absolutely. I can't wait. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. 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 Well, reunion is just so tricky. There's so many layers, you know, and the relinquishment, you know, just the way it affects everybody, you know, the person who did relinquish, the person who got relinquished. The whole thing. I like how Beth is very mature about it. Mm -hmm, Very. Right. Just do you think? Yes. I really respect that. And we were, you know, talking, you and I recently about, like movies and TV shows and the happy reunion and, and then the, you know, the story yeah. ends, but in real life, like that's just the beginning. Yeah. Fade uh, away and cut mm-hmm. to the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope she continues and, and tells her story and keeps going with it. And she's very brave. Mm-hmm. Respect very. her a lot too. That's a good word. Well, yes. Sarah, Louise, it was another <laughs> great episode. Another great episode. See you guys. See ya. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.